What's up, everybody, and welcome to Season 1, Episode 8 of the Strength Empire Podcast. This is your host, Justin Blatnick, and this season is all on strength athletes, or crossover strength athletes, as I've said before. And these are people that have excelled in multiple disciplines, whether it's powerlifting, weightlifting, strongman, or the Highland Games. These people have competed at a high level in both sports. Before we begin and get into the episode, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast at whatever platform that you're listening to this to, and make sure you leave us a review. We've got another review come in from Jacob H., and I think I know exactly who this is. Uh, obviously listened to one of the episodes and recommended that I do a weightlifting meet wearing a Borat singlet. It would be legendary. He also said, love the podcast. This, is this in all caps, is what every strength athlete has been waiting for in a podcast. Well, thank you, Jacob. I really appreciate the review. And I told you guys we would give him shout-outs on here. Uh, so before we get into this one, if you haven't subscribed, please subscribe. Follow us on your social media. The Strength and Power Podcast can be found on Instagram. It's probably where most of my info will be. Uh, we put up questions if you want to ask questions to the guests. I do that kind of short notice, though. As well as make sure you follow the gym. It's a little weird time to follow. Our gym is at Strength and Power Gym on multiple uh, platforms. It's a little weird time. This is being recorded and put out during this coronavirus situation. So if you're coming back and finding this down the road, awesome. Thanks for joining us. But as well as we're trying to continue to put out this content and have you something to enjoy while you're probably cooped up at home and not training like you'd want to be. But it's going to be okay. So this episode, I'm excited to have Ben Moore on as my guest. Ben is a gym member. Uh, he's been there for a while, but somebody who's been really good in the strength game is kind of on the latter part of his career. So we have a lot of good lessons to learn from Ben here. I literally asked some personal questions to Ben, and he's been one that I've confided in with a lot of gym-related questions, such as where should we go, what should we do, how am I doing with our gym and it's just trying to rely on somebody who has more experience than yourself. So I'm really excited to put this episode out and really excited to finally sit down with Ben. It's funny that this ended up being a long distance episode, but I hope you enjoy it and we're going to jump right into it. And we're on live. I guess it's not live, but I'm on with Ben Moore. So Ben, thanks for joining me. Yeah, no problem. And go ahead, take a sip. Ben, what are you drinking on? So Ben and I are both drinking right now. I'm drinking beer. He's got bourbon. What do you got, Ben? This is the Gibby Store Pick, 1792 foolproof, 125 proof. Not what I started with. I had, I had a warm up for it, but it's good stuff. Awesome. And I've this got... is uh, Kevin, Kevin Smitty's favorites. Shout out to Kevin. I don't think he'll listen to this, honestly. He might. I don't know. If it's you, he might. I'm drinking. It's been cool. Um, for those that don't know, I mean, I don't know if people really follow or care how much about my life on this podcast. I'm in Memphis right now, which is not normal. Uh, with this coronavirus, I'm working with my brother. So I went. the first thing I did when I went to the grocery store to buy groceries, because I'm going to be here for about three weeks, is I went and got a pick sick of local beer. And Ghost River Brewing Company is a, a big brewing company over here in Memphis. So this is their Irish-style red ale. And then I've got a backup of their golden ale. So nice. just got what I could. I had a couple good ones. I can't remember the names of them now. I had a couple good ones uh, the first couple nights I was here. I drank like one a night, so... I grabbed two for this one, so. Um, but, yeah, so we're going to talk training. Ben is a gym member. Um, it's so funny that we tried to do this one in person, and now it is – I'm now even further away to do it via Skype and, and then the whole social distancing thing or whatever you want to call it. We are now interstate doing this. Uh, so, Ben, let's get a quick rundown of, like, let's get your stat line up or, like, what's your strength sport career been like? And we'll kind of go yeah. back and delve through that. So started training in high school like everybody else. Uh, had a, a coach that was into like all the bigger, faster, stronger stuff back in the day. 
um, started competing in powerlifting at, uh, in high school as a freshman, bombed out of my first meet, didn't, didn't hit a squat. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's been, it's been a fun ride, but did that all through high school for football, obviously. And then, um, got to college, uh, you know, like everybody, I didn't get, I, I was recruited division two, II, division three. I wasn't very good. Um, really small too at the time, uh, which is funny. Yeah. It's really but, funny. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I decided not to play, went to Missouri state, uh, which was Southwest Missouri state when I was there. Um, like everybody, you know, you get the fall and you get the itch. So you go out and you, you take a look at maybe walking on. And I was a guard in high school. Uh, when I graduate, well, sophomore year, I was 250. When I graduated, I was about 190. Um, so I dropped a ton of weight and, um, you know, got to college there. Division one, they're not division one, a, but division one. And, you know, average size for the lineman was 300 pounds. So, you know, I'm, you know, and I, and I'm, and they were six, you know, three plus. So, you know, I'm five eleven on a good day with a tailwind. And, <laughs> You know, and I'm, you know, at the time I was, you know, maybe 215 or so. And so that wasn't, and I wasn't fast enough to be a linebacker. So that, that dream went away pretty quickly. Okay. Um, got into cheerleading and also got back into powerlifting. Um, met one of my fraternity brothers, um, started training together, did some meets, some, some local meets really. Uh, and then my junior year, we got into strongman. Um, met a guy named Brad Pitt, funny enough, uh, little troll looking dude from St. Louis that had a big long beard and he had been doing strongman forever. And, uh, that was his first power up to meet. So we started talking at the meet and he's like, yeah, you guys should come, come to St. Louis and train with us. And so one weekend we packed up, went to St. Louis and went to Eagle gym. Um, if anybody ever has been to St. Louis and, and has visited Eagle gym, it's one of the original yeah, it's one of the first hole-in-the-wall nasty-ass gyms. Um, got there, was able to meet up with a guy named Willie Wessels. Um, if anybody knows Strongman, one of the first um, to ever do it, uh, was the owner of NAS and then now owns United Strongman, whatever. I think United States Strongman is the yes, name yes. of his federation. Yep, so um, training with those guys. Um Mike Wortham was there at the time and then, you know, ended up meeting, you know, Jesse Marunde and meeting Phil Fister and all the old guys from back in the day. Um, got into that pretty hot and heavy, graduated, um, stuck with Strongman for about 10 years, all the way up to lightweight pro um, at 231. I walked around about 260 and cut to 231. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was pretty brutal. Um then I got to be a pro and decided I didn't have any other goals there. So I went back into powerlifting. <laughs> so, um, yeah. That's beautiful all over the mic. That was a good one. <laughs> and then I so, it all over I, me. Think, um, did a couple geared meets, funny enough. Um, my best gear total was 2031. Okay. Uh, it was like an eight something squat, uh, four something bench, uh, six something deadlift, somewhere around there. Um, I wasn't good in gear and, uh, you know, being that I traveled for work or, or have traveled for work, um, it wasn't a good thing to, it wasn't fun to try to find a place to go train gear. So got out of that, 
got into to back into raw powerlifting or at least powerlifting in knee wraps, what I call raw. Um, and then started competing in Kansas City. Uh, at the time, met up with Jeff Frank. It was one of the first meets back that I did. Totaled 1807 or something like that. Jeff will tell you that I I moved my my last squat to to jump him, but I didn't. And but he still is mad about it to this day. Um, and then stuck with with uh, wrapped raw for. See, that was 2008. So did that up until last year, um, a couple years ago is when I got out of the wrap. But uh, my best raw total in wraps was 2177, um, squatted 865, bench 512, I think, and um, pulled 804. So, so you literally in, in wrapped, you out-totaled your geared lifting raw. Yeah. Like I told you, I wasn't very good in gear. <laughs> wow, that's impressive to out squat your. Did you out squat your geared squat in reps? I think that was ten pounds shy. Oh, okay, and then you, but you easily out benched. You said easily out benched because um, I just didn't know a bench shirt to save my life, and uh, and I've always been a good deadlifter. Yeah, and strongman obviously has a ton of carryover to 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 deadlifting, so. I pulled 800. I tried 800 to meet four different times before I finally got it. Wow. Um, that was kind of my, you know, signature, like, swan song. Okay, I've done it. Now I can go. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. And then you did you did one meet here recently. Well, I'll say recently. It was, what, about a year and a half ago maybe? Um, was it two, Well, it was less than a year. Less than a year. Oh, so, whoops. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Did you wrap up for that squat or for that, for that meet? No, I went in sleeves. That was my first sleeve meet. Um, ended up squatting just under seven. Mm-hmm. I, I should have gone over seven. I, I didn't really ton, know where I was. You had like 690. You had, you had tons in the tank. Yeah. Yeah. I should have gone over seven that day. Um, benched for 30 or something like that. And then lifted 750. 50, yeah. So at 42 year old, 42 years old and, and somewhat fat. So. Now, how much lighter were – so talk to me about – I know I know a little bit more about your weight gain. So where was your, like, best total at versus – I know you had, like – you put on some weight at one point. So what was that balance yeah. there? Where did you lift the best? Where did you, you know, feel like you lifted the best? Or where did you technically put up the best numbers? So, like I said, I was a lightweight pro. So I could be at 231. I walked around about 260. And then I figured out what food was. <laughs> and um, – I got up to 300 pretty quick um, and then kept going and got up to about 365 was my biggest. Um, I had trouble tying my shoes. I couldn't wipe my ass. It was, it was, it was bad. Um, hey, real quick. I too much information. What did you do in that case? What's up? So what did you do if you couldn't wipe your ass? <laughs> Well, I could, but it fucking, I, I had lat cramps. I mean, if, you, if you have lat cramps wiping your butt, it's it's not fun. It's not fun at all. Okay. I've never been that big so, to know, to be honest. So that's, I had to ask. <laughs> had to ask. Bad. Hey, all, all things go on this podcast. Yeah, it's bad. So I, um, I, I figured out what a CPAP was around that same time. So, um, so I could actually sleep. But, um, but yeah, it was, 
So I got about 365. I competed at the American Open, which was at the Fit Expo in L.A. Um, with Jeff Frank. I got third there. Um, so it was it was a good meet for me. That was actually the same meet that Brandon Lilly tore up his knees. Oh, yeah, I remember. I saw, I saw him going down. Um, so, which was a terrible thing to watch. I, but, yeah, I've seen the video. It's not fun. Yeah, so... Um, so I got there, got 365, realized I was way too fat and I couldn't move and I wanted to get down and jump down to about 330 and then I was cutting to 308. My best total was at 308. Um, my best total actually I walked in and weighed 308. I didn't cut. Um, so it was, you know, no stress, just walk in and lift. And uh, obviously I ate like a madman the the night uh, before the meet, but I was probably up to about 330, 340, but I was <laughs> But 308 was my best total. So I felt like at that total or at that weight, I could, I still had a good squat. I still had a, I still had a belly. So I could, I could, you know, bounce out of the hole pretty easily. Bench was the same thing. I had some thickness to me, so I didn't have to, to have as, as long of a stroke. And deadlift, I could get in a better position at 308 than I could anywhere else. Okay. Um, and now you said you walked in. Now, and you, versus that meat was your best meat versus cutting for all these other meats and some of those i mean it's not they're big weight cuts but proportion to body weight you know 10 percent. it's not even 10 percent. do you yeah. think that that probably played the what do you think played the biggest role do you think that was it because obviously cutting weight is such a, a hot topic nowadays and it's something that everybody feels like they have to do yeah i i here, here's the thing if you're at a, a national level uh, i mean you're going to some invitational meets you're doing the bigger meets i feel like cutting is a viable option because you're, I feel like you need to be at the top of whatever weight class you're in. Mm -hmm. so that means you weigh in right at that. Great. But a lot of times that means you're 10% over that and you cut to that weight for local meets. I think it's a waste of time. And, and especially for new lifters, I think that you are, you're setting yourself up for failure um, because you don't know how your body's going to react to that. It takes, takes years of practicing that to be able to figure out how to maximize to, what to get out of a cut okay and it's interesting like it's funny i did i completely forgot the geared lifting segment of you this is now you're now my third lit, uh podcast guest in a row that's that's had some sort of geared lifting in their career yeah. and then also you talking i've actually talked weight cuts with everyone as well the past three times it's kind of cool to see the recurring theme of you know how did you do and how did you handle it and stuff like that so uh, let's kind of go back and, and segment some of that stuff up before we even at the end, I kind of want to touch on what you've been doing now. Uh, cause I've got a, a lot of friends, especially in the Highland games community that are, that I think would benefit from the knowledge of what you're doing now, but let's talk strongman. So you got, you were obviously young in your strength career. What do you think led to your success in strongman? I mean, you said 10 years as well. So that's a pretty lengthy bout of time to train strongman considering that most people get pretty beat up with strongman. So, um, yeah. talk me through like, what was your typical training setup like that helped you have that long career? Yeah. So number one, I got into it early. So early in meeting what strongman was just getting popular in the United States. Um, so it wasn't quite as heavy and ridiculous as it is now for the lightweight pros. Mm -hmm. Um, when I got out of it, it was because I was getting beat up and, and needed to, to take a break from it. So, um, I never did any, I never had any major injuries, but I had like small bicep tears and calf tear and some, some other stuff that, you know, wasn't, wasn't fun. So. Oh, 
make sure I could still move around. Okay. Um, but uh, as far as like training goes, it's funny because you see guys now that, that train events all the time and that's all they do um, all the time. So I was, when I was at my best, I had one upper day, one lower day and an event day. And it was about six hours long every Saturday. So I didn't train a ton. I trained to recover. Um, when I did events, I, t- I tried to, to go about 10% over contest weight by the time I was pretty close to the contest. So when I got to the meet, I was, you know, I could fly over the contest way easily. Um, but that was it. It was, it was pretty simple. Um, I alternated, you know, when I was, when I had my best pull at that, you know, at that time, which was, I think around 700, um, I was alternating heavy weeks. So I would pull heavy one week and I would do shrugs or bent rows the next week just to give my back a little bit of a rest. And it wasn't scientific. I, you know, I, when I was in college, my buddy, uh, that I trained with was really into West side. So I, I've trained West side back in the nineties mm-hmm. and right, right when Louie was starting to put all the articles in Pyro USA and all that stuff. So, um, you know, we did that for a long time. When I got to powerlifting, I figured, or when I got to strongman, I figured out I needed to really kind of just minimize it. Um, you know, minimize the impact of my, I would, I didn't deadlift on event days. I would deadlift during the week. Um, and I was squat on the same day. Squat was secondary to my deadlift, just based on strongman. Um, and then my, my upper day was pretty much, I would have like a push press, all, you know, variation, like whether it's with an axle or whatever. And then my, my lying press, my bench would be like a, a three board, um, mainly, uh, was my, was my, my tricep work. So it was it, it, looking back now, it was really funny. It was so minimal, uh, compared to what a lot of people are doing now with all the periodization and all the, mm-hmm. all the stuff. Well, that's kind of what I was thinking. I was like, man, you're only training three days a week. And you see guys now training five or six days a week with strongman and events every day, or or they'll do three days a week and then an events day, and it's just like it's 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 crazy to see that you had success from cutting things back. Um, well, you see so many guys flame out. I mean, I, was, I saw some guys that that could be world's strongest men that because they just tried to do so much at one time, they just they lasted three or four years and they were done. You never heard from them. right. So what do you think might be a missing piece from strongman training now with now that it's gotten a lot heavier? Um, you know, I think that a lot of guys just forget about the recovery aspects. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a couple guys I follow Terry Rady. Uh, if you, if you follow him at all, he's one of my, um, I think he's semi-retired now. He's not, not competing anymore, but He's like me. He had AFib, and he's got some some issues going on. So we both kind of kind of bonded over that. But, um, you know, he he's really big into recovery. He's really big into movement type stuff, um, especially now. And I think that's a big piece. Um, you know, guys try to maximize what they do in the gym. And if you if you, what I've tried to do is I I had friends that were bodybuilders. I had friends that were Helen game athletes. I had friends that were you know fitness freaks. You don't, you don't make muscles in the gym. You bring things down in the gym. So anytime outside of the gym is what you're supposed to be doing for recovery. If I had it to do all over again, I'd be doing yoga from the very beginning. Oh, okay. That's a big twist. Honestly. I mean, that, I mean, it's, it is, 
and I've always been pretty flexible because I obviously cheered in, in college and, and I could do stuff. But I think that you just you look at the old guys, you look at the old powerlifters and the old strongman, and they're all they all walk like this because they've got they've got such developed shoulders and pecs that they're all hunched over and they walk around like this. By the time they're you know up in their seventies and eighties, like there's a guy named Herb Strange in Kansas City that's one of the judges. He still competes, but he walks around like this. He's a big, tall guy, but he, he he's probably 6'5", but when he walks around, he's about 6'3", because he does this all day. So for those that – this isn't a video podcast. Uh, Ben's like shrugging his shoulders up and towards his face and dropping his yeah. head down. And that is – it's that anterior shoulder, that super tight pec and stuff like that. What's really funny is my brother has actually started putting in yoga – more than myself, I do a good bit of mobility work, mostly for my lower back issues and stuff like that. But my brother, and he's 27, but he's a big dude, freaking strong. And he started doing yoga minimum one day. Like, he does yoga one day a week. And I, I caught him, since I'm here living with him right now, I caught him doing yoga the other day. I was like, what the hell are you doing sitting on the ground? He's like, yoga. And then he goes and do like a little stretch. I was like, oh, all right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it, it, it sounds funny and it sounds, you know, whatever. It sounds weird, but... There's something to it. Plus, here in Charlotte, before all this crap was going down, um, they had yoga at the breweries. So you could pay $8 and go do yoga and get a beer afterwards. So uh, it's a win-win in my book. I hear you. Um, so what was, your, what was your crowning moment in Strongman? So you, you made it to, quote-unquote, the, the, the legendary lightweight pro card. I mean, I'm using air quotes for that because everybody <laughs> talks about in Strongman their pro card. I mean, I, I want to see yeah. this card, Ben. It's video. I want you to show it to me. I've never, I've never seen the card. I'm still pretty pissed <laughs> off. Thanks, for, thanks for opening that wound. Uh, so, was that your crowning moment, or, or what did you have to do to get to that point? You know, I um, when I decided that I was going to go because I was middleweight for a long time, like 260, 265, somewhere in there. When I decided I was going to go to lightweight, um, you know, I started talking to some guys. Matt Reynolds is a guy that um, was with starting strength for a long time um, with Ripito and all those guys. And uh, he and I competed around the same time. So he was one of the first guys to he, – he went pro before I did. Um, so I talked to him about how to cut, how to do the things I needed to do and get in the shape that I needed to be. And – when I when I when I transitioned over to trying to get to lightweight, that was kind of for me. That was kind of like my crowning moment because I figured out that okay, I can maximize my strength and still be athletic at this point, right? So I can I can be strong as I can get at 260 pounds, and if I cut right to get to 231, I've only got to be there for a second when I'm weighing in. Right. So only got to be there for, for maximum of five minutes. And then I, I can do whatever I need to, I could maximize my, my uh, performance that way. So that was for me, that was the biggest kind of aha moment when it, when it came to strong and strength sports in general, because I, I transitioned that into, into powerlifting too, being able to cut a little bit there too. Mm -hmm. Um, but that was, that was my biggest aha moment was strong, man. What, uh, so what was that competition like? I mean, did you just blow everybody out of the water or was it a very tough competition for you? Talk me through that one. Sounds like a good yeah. one. I went, I flew to Albuquerque and, uh, it was, um, 
Platinum Plus contest. Mm-hmm. Uh, different levels of contest back in the day. I don't even know what they are now. But. I think in uh, Nat, or if it's still Nat, I think they still use that terminology. ASC or whatever it is, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was a Platinum Plus contest. It was in Albuquerque. Um, it was in the middle of a parking lot outside of a gym. It was, it was not, you know, in this big, uh, you know, convention center or anything like that. It was in the middle of a parking lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, myself, Matt Reynolds, um, and a couple other guys that I, their names escape me. Matt could tell me who they were, but, uh, we, we had a good day. Like it was, all of us were pretty close. Um, the, the biggest event that I remember that was just, just fun was stones from two, I want to say two twenty or two forty up to 400. Um, the, I didn't get the 400 stone, but they were in descending platforms. So the tallest platform was 68 or 70 inches. Mm-hmm. So you said to shoulder the stone and then push it up there. Right. Um, and I got, four stones in a faster time than the rest of the guys. And that, that was actually the, the event that won me the, the, the pro card. Oh, that's pretty Quarter. sweet to, to win it on stones. That's pretty sweet. Yeah. So it was, it was a good day. We all were pretty close. Um, but the funny part was like at that point, we all knew each other. Mm-hmm. We all, you know, for the most part had, had trained together, at least talk training, you know, across the country, depending on where we were. And uh, we all support each other. Yeah, that, that's one of the things about strongman at the time, and it became this way with powerlifting too later on. We were just we were friends. Every time we went to a meet, it was like going and hanging out with your friends for the day. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I, I I'm all for shit talking, and but I love the camaraderie that you can find in in certain people in strength sports. Obviously, there's going to be the people that are just going to not like you, not going to you know not going to like what you do, going to hate on your success. Um, but so what is, did you have anything else that was in like terms of, did you any pro pro competitions uh, or, or, or what, how did that career shift to powerlifting? Yeah, actually I never did a pro contest. That's uh, <laughs> a, a, a fact about my career. I never did a pro contest. Um, and at the time, the way it was set up, you had to compete within a year mm-hmm. uh, to keep your part. So I didn't, I ended up letting it go. Um, life, you know, I had kids at the time. Um, I have three, three little girls that are amazing and awesome. And, uh, but you know, started having kids and, and, you know, yeah, you know, cranking on my career and all that good stuff. So I had to kind of let that go for a little bit. Um, every time I've transitioned from one thing to the next, it's been the hardest thing I've ever done. Uh, okay, with that's interesting. yeah, so it's going from letting go of competing that hard and heavy and strong man. And it, and, and it put a strain on my family and everything else because I was so into it. Um, that was a, a mind fuck. I mean, it was, you know, trying to, to let go of, of your baby basically. Okay. Um, and then when I transitioned from, you know, powerlifting into what I'm doing now, uh, same thing. It's been, you know, trying to, trying to let go of something you've done for 10 or 15 years is, is rough. Okay. So how did your training adapt or evolve going into powerlifting from the strongman training? Obviously you don't have that event day. So, or, or did you quote unquote use an event day for powerlifting or what, what was your training that led to your success? And what did you change maybe along the way working up to that massive freaking total? 
Uh, I let other people run my my programming. Okay. <laughs> uh, I you know you're you're your own worst enemy when it comes to programming. I'm a firm believer in that. Um, you tend to gravitate towards the things that are easy uh, rather than things you need to do. Um, so there were a couple guys I kind of ran through the gamut of, of people, but started out the first guy I kind of reached out to was Brandon Lilly because JP price at the time, uh, which was uh, one of my, my original training partners when I got to Kansas city, um, he had started talking to Brandon back when cube, you know, the cube method started coming around. Um, so we did that for a while. Um, I'll never forget the 50 reps with 35 at the end. And, you know, we're both laying on the ground, writhing in pain. Um, and then I, I went to, I was hooked up with, um, the, um, 1020 life guys, Brian Carroll and, um, um, uh, bird and all those guys. So did that for a little bit. Um, and those guys helped me out with competing. That's actually when I was in. When I was, when I went to the American Cup for a Fit Expo, that I was with 1020 Life guys, mm-hmm. um, and then um, after that, I transitioned to a guy named Michael Greeno that trained with us. Um, I started a powerlifting team in Kansas City. I don't, I don't think we talked about that, no, but uh, I, I started a team in Kansas City and a group of guys. We had basically two teams that came together. Uh, and one of the guys that came from the other team trained with Al Caslo back in the day, and and um, a I couple love other Al. guys. He, Al has no idea who I am, but I've met him at a couple meets. He's always been a great guy. He's a super nice guy. Yeah, super small little dude, but he is a super nice. God, Jack. he's strong and amazing. So technical. Um, for those that don't know, like Al lifted with Big Iron, and if you guys want to look up some, I don't know if maybe you can YouTube Big Iron with. That crew, that's when I was kind of in geared powerlifting. Those were the guys I looked up to. Was I was a little was, bigger than Al. Al competed against a couple of my train partners. Garrett Huffman, who was the last episode, and Derek Wilcox, who was the episode before that. Those guys were lifting on the same competitions. I was like in the warm-up rooms with Caslo and uh, Cartinian and Frankel. And it was so cool to see those guys doing their thing because they were yeah. so good at it. It was unbelievable. Those were the originating guys of training your gear. I mean, yeah. Those were the guys who were like, "Hey, you got to train your gear to get better," and, and nobody at that point had ever figured that out. They just kept trying to train raw and then just throw gear on the meat. Yeah, right. So, but yeah, yeah. So we had some some guys that came together. It was a guy named Michael Greeno. It was my coach at the time. Did it for free. Still, some of the hardest hardest programming I've ever done in my life. There were days I'm like, I'm not doing accessories. I'm I'm absolutely not doing accessories today. I am wiped. So and he was it was a running joke between JP and I of who was going to do accessories that Mike that the Michael Greeno had had uh, had put in the the program for us. But um, but yeah, I did that for a while. And then when I transitioned later on in powerlifting, when I got out of it, there was a, a guy named Phil Stevens who actually does a lot of the gear for Hate and and Strong um, um, out in uh, Mark Bell Strong, you know, gear and all that stuff. He does all that stuff, and he actually uh, owns a gym called Strength Guild in Topeka, Kansas, which is about 45 minutes from Kansas City. And he started doing my programming for a little while. Um, he's the one that actually got me really started looking at dropping weight 
seriously for for later in my life and things like that. You know, at 42 years old, I don't need to be 300 pounds anymore. So I've I've started figuring out that you know I need to need to drop down a little bit. So that was the biggest thing is finding a coach and letting other people do my programming. Um, just because it let me just go in and do it. Like it was, it was, there was no thought to it and I didn't gravitate towards the things that were easy. Okay. So I don't really know how else to word it, but like, how the hell do you squat 800 pounds and just wraps like that? I can understand like a strong bench and a strong deadlift that just comes with time. And I guess it is time as well with the squat, but like, I mean, when I was geared lifting, it was, I mean, I was powerlifting in 20, around 2010, 2013, as maybe when, I was done in 2012, probably. But like, yeah. it was unheard of to hear anybody hitting numbers like that. It wasn't that big of a deal. Um, so like, what do you think, like, with all of those different people you work with, what attributed to your best strength gains in that rap squat? Because it's just like, it almost, I'm not taking anything away from what you've done. But damn near, it seems like everybody freaking strong in wraps right now is squatting just stupid weights. Of course, it's now. I get it. But um, yeah. how do you answer that question? It, uh, so, so number one, obviously, the, the, the progression of the wraps themselves. I mean, they're, let's be honest, you're putting a cast around your knee and you're bouncing out of the hole. Mm-hmm. So that's number one. So the progression of the wraps is really attributed to people really kind of pushing the envelope with weights, right? The number two piece of that is I'm a speed squatter. I always have been. So for me, it made sense. If I went into the hole fast and I came out of the hole fast, and I, didn't, I, I didn't end up down there very long. The benefit of that is because I wasn't in the hole very long, the judges couldn't figure out if I was in depth or not. So <laughs> this, you know, they always, they always kind of edge towards my side. Now, I always squatted to depth. Number three the the guys that I train with, um, I train with JP Price. I mean, the guy squatted a thousand thirty six in wraps, um, bench six twelve. Um, he is he one of the funniest stories, and is I he we got together because of a guy at a barbershop. shop. Guys like he's like you look like you're strong. Who do you train with? He's like, well, I just bench. He's a bench only guy. He goes, but you need to go go talk to my buddy Ben. So he called me or messaged me. I can't remember what we did back in the day, but uh, <laughs> started. He, he started coming up to the gym I was at. We trained together, just the two of us. And then, you know, the more we trained together, the more people started realizing that we were doing some pretty cool stuff. So we just started, you know, getting these people. It ended up being like a 30-person team by the time I left. Wow. It was was pretty amazing. So, And he was a big part of that. He was a big pusher of the team side of things. Um, and I don't remember I was going with this, but he, um, you know, those guys, the, the, the ones I trained with JP price, Jeff Frank, who squatted 1200 and, and gear, um, you know, his bench pretty damn close to nine. Um, you know, Mike Greeno was, was the coach at the time. Um, and there's, there's so many people, um, uh, so many people over with that team that, through the years, David LaMartina, which he was a big lifter back in the day. Um, just so many people who were around that just kind of, they made you better just by being around them. Okay. Um, 
Well, and I'll never forget that time with them because it's it's you you were expected to perform every time you came into the gym. Um, you didn't get to half-ass when you got there, and we were we joked around. We were nice. We did all the other cool stuff, but when you got there, you worked. And there were many many days that, and I, I've never still never puked from training. Oh, you broke up there. I heard it. You never puke from training, but? I never puked from training, but there were many days that I wanted to. Oh, okay. (laughs) Um, And so this is something that's interesting that you're speaking of this because it's something that I'd like to build more with our gym. So uh, personally, like I think the team aspect, we've had more of it and now it's gone away from that a little bit. And I'd like to see it mean more and and here's my thoughts on it and I want to see what you think of this and that is multiple people on this podcast so far have spoken of how important environment was I mean starting with the first episode my brother it it allowed him when he said was it took the governor off from him he was saying that you know when I saw that this was quote-unquote humanly possible to do this he was like oh I can do that too um, so many guys, I mean, and especially from a geared powerlifting standpoint, you almost cannot do it alone. You have to have that help. What, but the thing of the idea being like the, the daily push that it doesn't matter that I have to lift more than you, but what I like to do a lot of times is if like you and I were lifting together, okay, Ben can out squat me. So he out squats me by 200 pounds on his max. I'm going to try to on this variation or whatever we're doing today stay within 200 pounds and if I go if I beat him let's say I'm only 150 pounds off I'm a winner that day and I I I got you like ha I got you I did it I'm catching you that's what how I interpret it and what I would like to see more what do you think it would take for our gym to see more of that and I know the probably one of the biggest things is literally it is life schedules break that apart at times um But and and so what would you do? What what do you recommend to people and or how you know the biggest thing we did is we we figured out times that were generally okay for everyone. Mm -hmm. Um and you know, Saturday at at noon or excuse me, Sunday at noon, we showed up to train squat. That was our squat day. Sunday at noon. That was mine in college. That was our big squat day. And we we squatted every Sunday and everybody knew that you needed to at least be there for squat day. What we used to tell the team was, you don't have to be there every day, but I want you here majority of the days. Mm-hmm. If you want to get better, if you want to be a part of this, you have to come train with us. You have to help spot. You have to help do all the things you're supposed to do. The biggest thing that I think that does, and, and the team aspect of it does, is it pushes everybody to just, you're expected to perform. You're expected to be there. You're expected to, and, and I told people this before, like I, I go back to the, there's an article from Jim Wendler and Dave Tate back in the day. And it was about Timmy, the trainer. And I think I've told you about this. You've told me about this one. Yeah. If anybody can Google that, it's amazing. It was on elite FTS at one time, but they had this whole like series of articles about Timmy, the trainer. And one of the first things that happened when Timmy the trainer came to the gym that, that he and that Dave and, and, J, and Jim were, were training at, they made it, they said, okay, you can come train with us, but all you're going to do is drag the sled. 
yeah. you're going to drag the sled as long. And when you get good at dragging the sled, then maybe we'll let you come train. But for right now, you need to go drag the sled because they, they took him through a couple movement things. They realized his, you know, posterior chain was weak as shit. He couldn't do anything. It just, he was, he was worthless as a training partner to them at the time. Right. So what that, what but the, the, the basis of that is it, it made him want to be there. He wanted to get to that next level. So like if you and I squat about the same, and we go in, we do a variation of the squat that day. I say it's squat with chains. We used to do swinging chains, like to, to build stability and stuff like that. So if we go in and do, you know, squat to a certain RPE or percentage with swinging chains, and we're both squatting around the same time, if you hit a weight that I haven't hit yet, I'm going to get pissed off, and I'm going to try to hit it too. So it's just that, it's that, that mentality of competing not only on meat day, but – Every day you go into the gym. I think that's what I think that's what it, that that that's the, the the huge thing that that brings out is when you when you come together as a group like that you you'll it, it naturally happens. It doesn't have to be you know two people that are exactly the same that are squatting the same or benching or deadlifting the same. It might be two guys are completely opposite, but one guy hits something that he hasn't hit in forever, and then all of a sudden the other guy's like, "Fuck, I gotta do my my best now" because he did that. And it just it pushes everybody up from there. Everybody, it's everybody comes up to that common denominator. Do you think social media has played a part in that? Yes. Nobody has nobody has to learn from their mistakes anymore. Yeah, they'll put it on they, social media, and everybody can judge it. Everybody can judge it. You can look up the perfect training plan. Um, you know, perfect. I put that in quotes. <laughs> you look up the perfect training plan, and and nobody. Nobody has to learn from their mistakes. Nobody has to do trial and error. Um, there were a ton of shit. There was a ton of shit that, that Brian Hosford, my, my buddy in college, and I did that was worthless. But we tried it. True. Just to see what happened. Yeah. <laughs> We've done a lot. Of, everybody's – if you have trained long enough, you've done that. And, and one that I've learned, and I love this quote, is that it's like if you're, if you're a good trainer and you're always learning, you'll look back at programs you wrote like – three years or five years ago and go, holy shit, why did I do this? You know, like this was terrible, but I used to, I used to have a whole training block on my wall in my basement. I had a basement, a basement gym for a long time in my house. And I had like three or four people come over and train with me. And, uh, I used to have, you know, my training block on the wall for like the next six months. I didn't, I didn't know what the fuck periodization was. I just, <laughs> I'm just going to put together a training block. We're going to figure this shit out. Um, so based on what I knew, which is very, very, very little compared to everybody else, I've put a, and I wish I had those, those training blocks to look back on because they were, I guarantee they were hilarious. Yeah. Okay. And, and then the last thing I'm, I'm going to be, this is like, I'm asking for critique or criticalness of, because you're someone that it's almost ha, as funny as your Instagram name is been here, done that. Um, as, as being someone who's been around the strength game for a longer period of time than I, I have easily, um, cause it's damn near as long as I've been alive. And, uh, you know, with, with your quote unquote, we're going to use the word expertise. You know, what do you, th- what could you tell me? I'm being selfish more for our gym. How could you see the gym improving? I kind of mentioned the team aspect, but what would you like to see the further of our gym? knowing kind of the direction of the gym you are, we, we kind of already have and where we're at, 
you're the one that I turn to to ask advice for constantly. So it's kind of like, let me ask that question and have it public, you know, with what you see with our gym. Yeah. So I've, I've been around a lot of different gyms. Uh, when I, when I worked and lived in Kansas city, I would travel like a six state area. And you and, also owned a gym. Or part well, of I didn't, I, yeah, I was part owner in a gym. It was a key club gym in the basement of a haunted house in downtown Kansas city. <laughs> it all the time. So, Even better. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think that the biggest thing that, that we can do, um, and the biggest thing I saw from all those gyms, so I, I would, it was always known, like, if you needed to know a gym in a certain city in the in the Midwest, like, ask Ben, because he's probably been there and trained there. Okay, I got you. So, but the biggest thing that I saw, that one of the, the coolest aspects of a gym, there's a gym called 22nd Street Barbell, uh, which is in Des Moines, Iowa. Um now they've got a great facility. It's it's big. It's expansive, and and they've got plenty of room for everybody. But at the time when I was training with them, um, they were in the basement of Merle Hay Mall, and same same problem I had with my gym. It flooded, so oh. they had they had issues every once in a while. It was not good flooding. It was like sewage. Um. So. But the coolest part about that gym and and the base people that were in that gym. Everybody knew that if there was a meet within a three-hour driving distance, three or four-hour driving distance, if there was a meet, you were going to show up, and you were going to go and support. No matter if you were competing or not, you were going to go, and you were going to be there, and you are going to support everybody. That's what – and we do a pretty good job of it, but there's a lot of people that don't compete, that don't show up. Okay. And I'm not saying that show they have to but it's it's a really cool thing when the whole gym is there cheering for you and they had i mean they had a banner they would set up in their corner of the gym where everybody sat and you know ate their snacks and got away from the group and it was just it was a really cool thing to see we we took that with us um for for strong barbell back in the day it was which was impact elite when we first started but um we did the same thing if you, you know if there were Oh, I broke up. You, you broke up right Everybody there. You said, up. "Hang on." You there, said there you, we did the same thing. You broke up there for me just a second. Yeah, so we did the same thing with Strong Barbell, or, or was which was Impact Elite back in the day um, when I, when I first started it. If there was a meet two, three, four hours away, you were expected to be there, and you were expected to support the people that were competing, even if you weren't. And it just makes it it makes it such a cool a cool atmosphere and such a better day for everybody. So that's the one thing that I, I wish I could see for us is if there's people competing within three or four hours of Charlotte, go go. Just go go be there. Even if you don't go for the you know, the entire time. Let's say it's down in you know, Charleston, like the one we did, close or close to Charleston. Right. You know, you don't have to go for the whole weekend, mm-hmm. but I'm down, you know, carpool with, with a few people for the day and to be there. It's that it makes it that much more fun for everybody. Awesome. Okay. That's, that's something great to kind of note and take down and, and encourage people to do. And, uh, I think, like you said, we've done a decent job at a couple of the meets that are local where we've had definitely some more, like we'll have 10 yeah. to 15 people competing or eight to 15. Um, yeah, like Hickory or the, the one in Charlotte last year with yeah. the two form debacle, whatever that was. <laughs> Just the crowd, the small space crowd. 
Um, yeah, I mean, that's been really, really cool to see, seeing that bigger group come out. I mean, it, it, like you said, it'd be even cooler to have even more people. Um, yeah. so, so tell me what you're doing now. Like, obviously the, the, we're obviously in the midst of this coronavirus situation. If somebody happens to list this six months from now, but, uh, we're in the middle of this. And so obviously you're kind of cooped up at home and training at home. But other than that, what is training geared towards right now? Yeah, so I have a couple extenuating circumstances. I've got some some heart things going on that I I'm trying to separate myself from a lot of people. But however, um, what I decided to do with all this is go back to my roots when I had a garage gym or a basement gym, um, and build a few pieces of equipment that I can use to to do to maximize my effort. So. Back in the day, I actually built a reverse hyper mm-hmm. uh, out of wood. Um, did all the stuff I needed to do for my gym because I wanted to be the best I could be. Um, now my goals and my my things have kind of transitioned, and I'm I I, I want to get leaner. I want to kind of you know drop down in body weight a little bit. Um, for the coronavirus situation, I put together. I've got a couple kettlebells. I've got a a dumbbell. I put together a Bulgarian bag. If you don't know what that is, look it up. Um, it's like a sandbag in a tire tube. Yeah, sandbag in a tire tube that has handles. That's pretty much all it is. Yeah. Um, I've got a medicine ball. I've got an ab wheel, some bands, and I've got a set of rings that I drilled through the joist of my apartment neighbor above to set up. Yeah. So. <laughs> and you have a sled. You drag a sled too. So, yeah, I made a sled out of a tire. Uh, guy that I got for free at the Firestone that's around the block for me. Um, you know, it's it, for me, my what I'm trying to do right now is, yeah, I want to stay strong. And when I get back to the to, to our gym, I'm, I'm going to do that. I'm going to squat and deadlift and bench and, and overhead press and do all the things I normally do. But what this is teaching me is, is the ability to push myself in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually given me the ability to heal a little bit too. I had, I've had some nagging injuries for years um, that, you know, I just, I'm hard headed. I don't want to take time off and and I don't want to to back off. And, um, you know, that, that's kept some injuries from, from healing. And and what this has allowed me to do is do a lot of, a lot more um, unilateral movement so that I can help things heal. So. Gotcha. Uh, I'm laughing at some of the questions I got for you lined up. Um, and I know you and I kind of, you actually started to collaborate with me a little bit and we've kind of, de- uh, with some programming and stuff and, and then we ran into the coronavirus situation, which basically you gave me the, I said, what are your goals? And that was, it was really funny to like sit down and text that to you, obviously knowing your strength career, but you were like, what are your right. goals? And, and you were like, well, drop 20 pounds and be able to do stuff outside. So tell me about what you mean by doing outdoor stuff. Yeah. So moving out, I moved out here a little over a year ago. Um, a year ago this past August, so almost two years now, I guess. Year and, um, a, half, year and a half. Yeah, we'll put it there. Um, but when I moved out here, one of the one of the biggest things that I was excited about moving out here is being able to get outdoors mm-hmm. and get to the mountains, to hike, to camp, um, fish, hunt. Eventually, I don't have any guns right now, but I will eventually. Um, so you know, it's. Um, I just wanted to be able to get outside. And for a long time I did that. So this 
AFib slash heart blockage thing that I've had going on is kind of squelched out a little bit. But what, what I wanted to do was be able to move outside easier mm-hmm. and get to a body weight. I felt comfortable moving over rocks and under branches and all this other stuff, right. uh, which the programming put together for me was amazing. Like I, I'm, I'm re- I really want to get back to that. <laughs> it was so funny. Like, I mean, it was really fun writing it. It was like, all right, so we're doing it. one of the simplest ones that I loved writing in there was like, and it was so funny. My reasoning for writing, right. I was like, we did, step over and under hurdles or we just put PVC pipes in a rack. And I was, and you're like, what is this for? This is great for my hips mobility. I was like, this is for stepping over and under tree branches. Like, it's so fun <laughs> to write it and think of that. And I was like, why are you doing high step ups? This is for stepping up on big rocks. Like it was really funny to write it and kind of fun. It was fun. It was so different. Why is he out of breath stepping over a PVC pipe? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Yeah. Um, Yeah. It was so, yeah. So I wanted to be able to move. I mean, I wanted to be able to get outside and do things I wanted to do. Um, I love the outdoors. I love camping. Um, Y'all do a lot of it this year again. Uh, I got out to Mount Mitchell. I got out to Grandfather Mount with you, which is an awesome hike. Yeah, we did that. That was a fun hike. Yeah. I've got, I've, I've done a lot of the major, the major peaks over this way now. And, I just want to be able to get out and move and do the things outdoors I love to do. Um, I'm getting a lot more into photography and doing things, you know, outside. So that's, that's kind of where my training is now. Um, you know, my, I told, I was, I was texting back and forth with Derek earlier and he was, we were laughing about what he was doing in his gym. And he goes, and I told him, I was like, I'm going to have the gas tank of a fucking madman when I get done with this coronavirus. Cause all I'm doing is pushing myself to the limit every day when I'm when I'm outside. I've got neighbors above me that are watching me now. When I go the guy today, I was out my out of my patio. He's like, "Hey, you didn't work out today. What are you doing?" <laughs> yeah, uh, that's going on. I'm going to get out here in the yard in a minute. I'll, I'll figure it out. Yeah, it's funny to like. Obviously, my brother owns the pizza restaurants over here, and he's a big lifter, and they can all tell. And then they're seeing me. They're like, "Man, you must lift weights too." And I'm like. Yeah, I dabble. Uh, it, it's funny to see that. But, um, but yeah, man, it's exciting to see like how you've evolved through the years and, and kind of what you're doing now. And it's just so different. But still, like the way that you push is is something that I love seeing. Uh, it's a different style of push, but also coming from somebody who's done the you know the top end of your strength level stuff um, to seeing you challenge yourself now. It's it's I'm, it's hard to put words to it. It's, it's, it's cool to see. It's cool to see you pushing yourself in something completely different. Um, and I know you mentioned earlier, it's kind of, it's hard. It's a mind fuck. It, it really is hard to wrap your head around it, but you're, and you do a really good job on how you portray yourself with that stuff and posting that stuff that it definitely doesn't go unseen. Um, and I think you're, you're spreading a really good message with that in, in that you can push yourself doing something completely different and it doesn't always have to be this, you know, savage got to be all the weight all the time. You know, I've said something to, I posted it out there that it was like, Hey, a month without a barbell is probably going to do a lot of people really good. Yeah. Seriously. I've said, I've said a pretty similar thing. I think the other day when I posted, cause I was thinking about what you said and uh, yeah, I mean, you've got, okay. So little, little bit of a rant here. All right. So, 
social media, what that's done to people with lifting is made them prima donnas on the equipment that they use. And the reason I say that is because I told you this when you put the kilo plates in. I'm like, <laughs> you're going to have people that only want to train on kilo plates. And well, lo and behold, you've got a lot of people that walk across the gym to grab the kilo plates when there's pound plates sitting right there next to them. I'm, I'm aware with it, yep. And that's honestly, that's that's what it's done is, is allowed all these people to, oh, I've got to have a deadlift bar. I've got a squat bar. Oh, I've got to have, you know how many times I've gone into a gym and just found the thickest bar I could find? It, it wasn't a squat bar. It wasn't seven feet long, but I had to do it that day. And you got to do what you got to do. And it, that's, I don't know. It's anyway, that's a rant. Anyway. <laughs> all right. Well, let's, uh, we're going to wrap it up. We're going to go with a couple questions from Instagram before we go with my lightning round questions. Um, actually, I'm going to ask you this question and you kind of maybe answered it, but we'll see. Um, my favorite question to every, always ask everyone is with the knowledge you have now, what would you tell your younger self or what would you do differently back then? Um, and you can kind of relate it to any specific point in time. If it's 20 year old, you 30 year old, you, whatever it would be, just the knowledge, you know, you know, ugh, you know, now, what would you do different back then? Yeah. So a couple different things. Um, I mentioned yoga earlier. Okay. Yeah, my younger self, I would tell you to do yoga, get involved in it. You know, it doesn't have to be like you're a, a freaking yogi, Yeah. but you know, just, just do it one or two days a week. Like your brother's doing, mm-hmm. um, it, it helps. It helps tremendously. Um, also, for any guys out there looking to get into it, there's a YouTube channel called Yoga for Big Guys. It's amazing. Oh, there you go. I mean, to put that <laughs> one out there. Uh, number two, um, and I kind of did this, and it wasn't intentional, but what I realized after a while is is I was, I was smart in doing it. You've got a lot of guys that – and, and it goes all the way down to high school now. They just jump into drugs and they think, okay, if I take this amount of test or I take this amount of Anadrol or they take this amount of, it's going to magically put numbers on the bar. Right. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't. And I've seen, I told you before, I've seen guys that, that are, top of their game for three or four years it just flame out because they don't know how to handle the down because you're going to have ups you're going to have ups a lot of ups right but you're going to have downs and you've got to be able to navigate that and be able to bounce back from it mm-hmm. and there's a ton of guys that just try to take a gram of test a week and just say I'm going to get out there and do it you don't have to do that you don't have to do it for a long time. Um, I was damn near 40 years old before I ever thought about TRT or anything else. So um, just take your time. Um, this is a marathon. It's not It's not a sprint. And that, that's the most cliche thing I can say on this podcast. But right. it's true because even at 42 years old with AFib and a blockage in my heart, I'm still stronger than a lot of people out there. (laughs) That's so true. I mean, like, like literally right now at 10 o'clock at night, you could walk to the gym and go outlift (laughs) so many people out there. 
right now with where you're at. You you absolutely could. And if people want to try it, well, maybe after coronavirus, we'll, we'll test it. Yeah. But it's so true. So one of my one of my coaches, Bill Bill Stevens, told me this, and it, and it rings true. It's back when I was starting to get into some more of the conditioning type stuff and, and and trying to figure out where I wanted to go after competing. He said, "Okay, I will tell you this." He goes. It takes years and years and years of, of under a barbell and, and doing that stuff to build up the strength that you've got, right? If you step away from it for a little bit and you come back to it, it comes back pretty damn quick. Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't go away. The conditioning part of it, you can take it and leave it. It'll come back no matter how many times you do it. But if you take the time, you build the strength and you build the tendon strength, and when I say tendon strength, there's a difference. If you're if you're if you're maximizing your drug usage, your muscle bellies and things are gonna are gonna go really really fast. But there's a reason why people bust biceps and pecs and hamstrings and quad tendons and all kinds of stuff because those things take a lot longer to develop. There's not as much blood flow there, and you just you have to be it's it's time under the bar. Take your time. That's all, and that's that's the biggest thing I can tell everybody is take your time. Awesome. Well, we'll kind of wrap up our portion of the podcast, and we'll go to the lightning round questions as well as the couple questions we have from the Instagrams. Um, I posted a quick thing, like quick questions for Ben. We got three of them. Uh, <laughs> one from Big Daddy Brew uh, <laughs> said, and I'm I'm going to, <laughs> you know what I'm dealing with today. Um, so we're going to keep this on the hush, but uh, how far do you think you could throw a normal sized human being? <laughs> as far as I need to. As far as you need to. Okay. As far as I need to and be able to get away from them before they get up. Let's put it that way. <laughs> All right. Where's this other one's here? Uh, oh, yeah. Here we go. Now. From, oh, I hope he listens to it. He'll have to listen to get the answer. How does it feel to have lost 100 pounds and still be able to hit 1,800 plus total in sleeves? And that is from Kevin Smitty. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Um, I'm not going to lie. Being able to lose 100 pounds and, and do that is uh, was was kind of a, a feather in my cap. Uh, to be able to show myself that I don't have to be 300 plus pounds and still do what I do. Um, it was, it was a really fun, um, just a, a fun aspect to my whole career. It was, it was pretty awesome. Okay. And his, uh, he had a second question. Kevin brought two, uh, bring in the heat. So he'll have to listen. Cause I'm not going to tell him the answers otherwise. Um, yeah. and he said, also, are you a descendant of a minotaur or a Buffalo? Buffalo. Buffalo. All right. So, hey, so where did that come from? So for those that want to follow Ben, uh, we'll go ahead and throw the throw the at Ben here done that uh, Instagram uh, tag out there. What is the Buffalo? Where's this whole Buffalo thing come from? (laughs) So about a year ago, uh, Holly, my current girlfriend, and I started dating almost a year ago now. Um. She, okay, so we went to, to eat in Matthews, and there is a um, a store right around the corner from where we're eating. We went for a walk, and there's a store right around the corner from where we're eating called Buffalo Trading Post. 
And that is actually funny enough where we first kissed that night. Oh, gross. Come on, man. Like, move on. <laughs> yeah. So there's a giant buffalo inside the store, and we both laughed about it. So from then on, like, everything was buffalo. Like, I've got a buffalo um, money clip. I've got it. She has a buffalo picture in her house. It's ridiculous. <laughs> so, so Ben hashtags buffalo on everything. Well, you hashtag permasweaty on just about everything. And then permasweaty, I sweat like a fucking madman. Yeah. But and then I, I, I'm, I'm right with you on that one. And then it's always something. It's like I, I look for every post. I look for what's the clever <laughs> buffalo, like dying was, buffalo. You know, hyperventilating buffalo. Uh, dressed up buffalo. Like, it's just hilarious to find out what it's going to be. It's it's yeah. one of the most clever things I find on Instagram every time I see you post. <laughs> but, yeah. So, short shorts and permasweaty are, are my mainstays, and the buffalo kind of changes out. Oh, yeah. yeah. Here, I'm like, I'm like looking at it right now. Here we go. Dead buffalo. There you go. <laughs> that workout today was awful. The buffalo barbecue and training porch. <laughs> <laughs> I missed that one. Oh, that's awesome. Oh. Oh, you should have had, and then there's a picture of you fishing of really tiny fish. It should be like fishing buffalo. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, um, man. All right, so we're going to roll into the lightning round. We're over an hour, and I like to try to keep these about an hour because I don't think anybody can maintain more concentration than that. So People won't hear me, Justin. <laughs> first one is uh, favorite food. Two, two favorite foods, pizza and ice cream. Pizza and ice cream. Okay. Like every other kid out there. I know, right? This is a fat kid status. Um, that's my, my exact two right there. And oh my <laughs> gosh, right now I'm working in a pizza restaurant all day, every day. I'm like, I'm you getting fatter by back. smells. Bring me back one of the uh, meat pizzas that oh, yeah. I've heard so much the meat about. Muncher. I'm, I'm <laughs> definitely, listen, i am got a big cooler and I'm taking orders and I've already kind of arranged. I've got to. I've got to take orders and put them in. And, and I've got. I've got some pizza. I'm bringing home. I'm gonna. That they should stop me and pull me over. I need to bring like an extra for if I get pulled over for. Uh, what is it? <laughs> running liquor instead of I'm running pizza. Uh, what do they call? I'm missing the word. Whatever. Um, so, favorite beer. Bootlegging. Bootlegging pizza. Bootlegging. I'm bootlegging pizza. There you go. <laughs> Uh, so what's your favorite beer? Beer? Yep. Anything bourbon barrel aged. Oh, okay. pretty much. And then I, uh, so, so back in Kansas city, there's a brewery called Boulevard, which is a regional brewer. They're not a, they're not a quote unquote craft brewer anymore. Mm-hmm. They're, they've expanded their, their barrels per year. Um, they have a beer called Rye on Rye that started as rye on rye then it went rye on rye on rye it was rye to the fourth power and now it's rye on rye and blah 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 so it's a rye ale aged in a number of different rye whiskey barrels over 18 to 24 months and it's about 14 to 15 percent alcohol and that's probably my favorite beer ever mm-hmm. um past that like i said anything bourbon barrel aged okay. uh, i'm, I'm a and obviously you're a big bourbon fan so if you had to pick one bourbon what would it be go weller 107 there it is all right um okay uh last 
two questions or is it one or two? I'm trying to remember. I don't have this written down in front of me right now. What is the, oh, if you could only pick one lift forever for the rest of your life, what would it be? Deadlift. Deadlift. Why? Besides the squat, it's a maximum amount of muscle fibers activated at one time. Okay. And then the last lightning round question will be, what has been your favorite place you've traveled to for a competition or the like your favorite competition you've ever done, like kind of all wrapped up together? There's so many that kind of run together. I would say record breakers only because we went to the Redwoods after that okay. and stayed in a like a state in the airstream that was in the middle of the redwoods and that it was attached to a building that was basically all windows. So when you showered, you were facing trees. It was amazing. <laughs> um, but that, that whole, that whole meet, even though it wasn't my best meet was just a cool experience. Yeah. Just, just we'll see the difference. We Absolutely. went to the, the, Sonoma wine country and all that stuff. So it was, it was really cool. That's that's exactly what I'm looking for for that question. Is it's For example, if somebody asked me, um, I competed at the Lightweight Worlds and the Highland Games, but my vacation in Italy and Hungary and Austria after that was like way cooler than the actual competition. So, um, yeah. all right, man. Life's, yeah. all about, life's all about experiences. You got you to gotta rack up the experiences no matter if it's, if it's attached to competing or not. Yeah. Well, awesome, man. Well, this was great. Um, I got to dive into, I've heard a lot of this, but getting into dive into a little bit more, it was fun to hear a little bit more of the nuances, the ins and outs and, and all the, the little bits and pieces, uh, stuff that I'm thinking about taking away, like going to do yoga now before I go to bed. Uh, <laughs> but I, I thank you for your time, man. Uh, enjoy that bourbon. And I hope to see you sooner than later with all this coronavirus mess. All right, buddy. Safe travels and uh, have fun out in Memphis and Memphis, Maine. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Memphis, Maine. Later, buddy. <laughs> See you, bud.